NPR. In Beijing, about six months ago, Aze quit her job, and she didn't tell her parents. So I had to go out on time at eight o'clock every morning, and then appear downstairs in our house. Wearing her work clothes and a face full of makeup each morning, Aza pretended to walk to her old bus stop, and then she would keep walking. She'd get breakfast at KFC or McDonald's, then around ten she'd go to a cafe like the one we met her in, and it's here where she would usually take out her pencils and start drawing. Drawing is the best way to pass the time, in my opinion, because you'll spend most of the time drawing without even knowing it. Aze is one of tens of millions of young Chinese people who don't have jobs and aren't in school. In June, the urban youth unemployment rate hit 21 percent, and that's way up from pre-pandemic times. It's one in five 16 to 24 year olds who have looked for a job over the last few months, but don't have one. And the numbers are so disconcerting that a few weeks ago, the Chinese government put a pause on publishing them, citing the need for a review. But this vast number of unemployed people is getting a lot of scrutiny because what it means has big implications for the Chinese economy and the world. This is the Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong, and I'm Darian Woods. Today on the show, what Azza's story tells us about youth unemployment in China, why it's so high, and what it means for the world's second largest economy. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase. That's three percent on products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co/cardcalculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now, when you open an account, you can get up to one thousand dollars with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com/npr. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC, member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. Aza always wanted to be a cartoonist growing up. She couldn't quite get that job out of college, but she worked instead as a content editor for an entertainment news publication. And initially, she loved it. My job was so great. I was very happy every day and felt amazing when I produced good content. When I looked at the results of our output, I thought to myself, "Well done. It's worth all the effort." Well, it didn't last. Uzza found herself hopping from job to job and ended up in a job that didn't give her a lot of joy. There was pressure from various targets, which made my boss quite stressed, and he passed that stress on to us. Our work life was like being on a horror cruise every day. So earlier this year, she quit. But when deciding whether or not to take on a new job offer, she reflected on work life in general in China at any workplace. In China, there's a schedule called nine nine six, and that means starting the day at nine a.m., finishing at nine p.m., six days a week. 
And although this is technically illegal, very long hours are still common in China. And Aza was no exception. She'd had to take a lot of overtime. It was just too much for her. And so she told her parents she was still working and meanwhile worked on her hobbies instead. She grew plants, made necklaces, painted. I'd start a new hobby every time I've become unemployed. I'd see if I can find something I really like and if it's possible to make that become my work. And you might be thinking, how can she afford this? Well, Aze doesn't have to pay rent or a mortgage, which is perhaps more common for young people in urban China than you might think. They're almost certainly going to be an only child on both sides of their family. Nancy Chen is a professor of economics at Northwestern University. She points to China's one-child policy, this brutal enforcement of long-term contraception, sterilizations, and huge fines for having more than one kid. The policy was in place in China from 1980 to 2016, which means that most people Aza's age are only children. And they'll have grandparents who are from the city. So what this means is that they're going to be inheriting a lot of real estate from their grandparents. Not to mention, you know, maybe savings that their parents have been accumulating over time. Nancy was born in Shanghai in the late 70s and as a kid moved to the U.S. with her family. But she goes back often and has younger cousins who have struggled with China's changing economy. As China's growth has slowed, entry-level jobs in law, finance, tech and government have dried up. White-collar jobs are incredibly competitive. It's the high-paying, high-skilled jobs that have been shrinking in numbers. And these are what the current cohorts of college graduate students have been trained for, what they're expecting, what they wanted. They're not there. And young people with degrees who can't get these jobs are often in this, what you might call, luxurious position of having other options. That's fine for them, but not for the wider economy. There are a lot of vacant jobs. In fact, the Chinese economy is having a hard time filling jobs in factories. So a lot of young people like Aza end up not working at all. That said, Nancy says, they are likely to face a lot of emotional pressure to find a job. They have their parents and their grandparents saying, you're being spoiled. Like, why are you not more successful? We've given you everything, right? What's wrong with you? Let us tell you how we made it, how poor we were. Even people with college educations at different points in time were probably shoveling manure on a farm. And that's why Aza kept the truth from her family. The China that her parents grew up in was just so different to hers. I mean, China grew at 10% per year for almost two decades. But for some urban areas, we're going like at 20, 30% per year. And to illustrate what that kind of turbocharged growth looks like, Nancy used the example of where she was as a young kid in the French concession district of Shanghai. I lived in an extended family with around 10 people in three rooms, probably around 300 square feet. We had a flush toilet, so we were considered really rich. Wow. That was the marker of, of relative wealth at the time. Yeah, I felt really special. <laughs> people living in those neighborhoods now, they're living in skyscrapers, surrounded by Louis Vuitton and Prada stores. There are Lamborghini car dealers left and right. I'm emphasizing this because the places that had the highest expectations about the future, they're being hit with unemployment. It's kind of a whiplash feeling. Yeah, and so I think that makes us concerned about the social ramifications. Nancy says these young people are both spoiled, in her words, and also miserable at the same time. There's this huge gulf between expectations and what kind of jobs are available. It's not a great idea, just as a society, 
to have young people feeling hopeless, uh, you know, with no direction, in a funk. That's never good. Usually that translates into drugs and all sorts of social issues. In China, it's translating into a potentially huge problem for the economy. Tens of millions of young people out of the labor force might have serious long-term consequences. The best evidence we have, which is from the UK, suggests that one lost year of employment in your early 20s right out of college results to 13 to 21 percent lower productivity in wages 20 years later. Wow, 20 years later. Yeah. When you graduate and you work, you're learning not just hard skills like how to use a particular machine or, you know, in tech, like programming, right? So those are like hard skills. You're also learning soft skills like showing up to work, how to communicate to people who are your superiors and people who are your peers and people who you're managing. If you're doing well, how do you let that be known without being seen as a show-off and a jerk? How to brag uh, quietly. That's right. And if you don't learn those things when you're young, there is a sense that it's hard to catch up on those things later. There is a real concern that not working those lost years of work right out of college can have serious negative impact on your lifetime productivity later on, which is going to impact the aggregate productivity of the economy as a whole. Aza has a different view. Work is one of the only things that you can choose by yourself. And if you can't find your footing at work, then you don't have much meaning. Aza eventually got tired of all the questioning from her parents and lying to them. So she decided to confess. While her mother was watching TV, Aza said she hadn't been working. They said that's okay. They very calmly accepted it. So I think they already knew. It was a bit of an anticlimax. You know, I have to say the fact that they didn't get really mad about it and accepted it, I think that's generational progress. The generations might be starting to understand one another. This episode was produced by Awen Sao and Corey Bridges. It was engineered by Robert Rodriguez, fact-checked by Sarah Juarez, and edited by Patty Hirsch. Kate Cannon is our editor, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast, On Investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP. Always designing for people. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.